telling you, I'd love to be able to tell West Virginia this and tell them honestly, my husband loved this state so much. He loved the people. He thought West Virginians were the salt of the earth, hardworking people of integrity. Okay, everybody, welcome into another edition of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Great to have you along. And who you guys just heard from is Dreama Denver. And we'll get into Dreama's incredible story here in just a few minutes. Well known for being the wife of Bob Denver, who was Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. But her story is much more than just that. And we'll dive into that here in just a few minutes. Coop, what's going on? We're going to keep doing the Meet the Bloggers thing. How are you doing today? We sure are. It's a great day to be a mountaineer wherever you're at. And we've got uh, Shannon with us. So Shannon, what's going on, man? Good morning. It's good to be here. Uh, I didn't ever think I would be on a podcast, but here we are. <laughs> so, well, welcome aboard. Yeah. yeah so, so folks <laughs> know you from, from writing the incredible article. So you write articles for mountaineermedia.org and you've got a fascination with history. Maybe tell us, where did that come from? Have you always been the kid that kind of just likes reading or where, where did that spark and where did all that come from? You know, I have no idea. Ever since I was a kid, I was just obsessed with history. Kind of started with the Civil War. When I got to middle school, obviously, I think everyone in the state has to take a, a West Virginia history class. Took that and then just, you know, continued that Civil War, West Virginia, followed it on. And when I got to college, I was like, I don't know what I want to do, you know, with my life. I didn't want to be a teacher though. So I decided to go to journalism. That was my next big thing. But I was like, let me just minor in history. It's easy. I can just take these classes. They'll be easy, like filler classes, you know. So ended up with a minor. I probably could have, you know, double majored, but didn't really plan that far ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and then here we are. So I saw this as a good opportunity to use my background in history that I feel like kind of really doesn't get used in, in my day-to-day job. Yeah, you, you've been doing this month in West Virginia history, but we laughed the other day because it probably should be like the shit that you didn't learn in school. Cause it's a it's a little different stuff. It's, it's stuff off the beaten path. You've talked about the history of the National Guard, the disaster at Hawk's Nest and the West Virginia Penitentiary, which is the article that's being released this week. So another like I know that you when you had announced on Facebook, like you were going to start writing for us, somebody said something and you were like, yeah, finally get to use that history minor putting it to good work yeah yeah like i said you know i i never wanted to be a teacher that's not something i want to do to get the opportunity to to write about history i think is pretty unique because i feel like you know most people that do it are scholars or teachers so to get a chance to kind of you know just keep with that research and diving into history a little bit and especially in in our state you know because i think a lot of people like you said they it either wasn't taught in in school or maybe they they missed it and to be able to like kind of you know let people know about maybe the the lesser known parts of of their state history i think is is really cool and it's also you know like the cliche like if we don't like learn our history we're going to repeat itself like there's a lot of lessons that uh, i think we can learn from hearing about the state's past i mean not all the stories are always going to be rosy and, and beautiful and great right i mean there's there's certain cases like the, your most recent piece um with hawk's nest where like you know that it actually was a disaster one of you know maybe the most famous examples of that era of uh you know exploiting workers and you know that's um sort of realm but but it's an important part of the state's history so i think a lot of people enjoy reading that simply because it's just educated and maybe it, it wasn't the glossy stuff they got in their history class at school because you know it didn't paint the state in the best light but it's actually maybe more important because it's the truth and we can learn from it and we can be a better state because of that so i think that's pretty cool um uh, really just important for us to facilitate and i'm glad that you're uh, you're passionate about it because you're a great writer i thought the hawk's nest thing would really hit home with people um twofold because you know everyone knows hawk's nest you know you, you've been there probably you've heard about it at least the other part because you know the state has suffered a lot of disasters uh, a lot of exploitation among industrial workers and i think you know people see that and they're like well i you know i didn't hear about this and it happened in hawk's nest you know what the heck mm-hmm. that's what i'm trying to do you know i'm trying to find these interesting stories that people may not have you know known about and you know make it in- make history interesting <laughs> yeah no doubt man you're doing a great job we appreciate all the work so far and uh keep rocking man thanks yeah no problem dream of denver is known for several things Yes, she's often referred to as Bob Denver's better half, 
but she's also a philanthropist, a writer, an actress. Shoot, she owns her own radio station just outside of Princeton, West Virginia. And she's also an advocate and a great representative for West Virginia. Dreema spoke so fondly of West Virginia that when her and Bob were looking for a place to settle down in the second half of their lives, well, they chose the Mountain State. And that's exactly where Dreema remains today. Unfortunately, Bob passed about 16 years ago, but Dreema continues to carry on his legacy while also blazing her own path. She owns a radio station in Southern West Virginia. She's the author of a wildly popular children's book called Four Bears in a Box. And she just wrapped up her biography about her late husband entitled Gilligan's Dreams. Oh, and she got a song that all West Virginians know and love, Take Me Home Country Roads, to be the official West Virginia state song. Yeah, she's funny, she's creative, she's energetic. So let's get to it with our interview with Dream of Denver. Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, and we're rolling. Dreama Denver, good morning. How's it going? It is going really, really well. A year into quarantine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's nice did. to see other human beings. I have to tell you, it's a good thing. <laughs> you know, the last week, the weather's gotten a little bit warmer. I think everyone's just like, ah, like the literal and metaphorical light at the end of the tunnel. It feels like it. Um, but, you know, we were just we were just speaking before and you were talking about just the feeling of West Virginia. You're currently in in the southern part of the state, right? Bluefield? Uh, the Bluefield Princeton area. Bluefield Princeton. Yeah. Yeah. You grew up in Bluefield, right? Is that, that's kind of yeah. where your, your roots were from. Yeah. Yes. I grew up in Bluefield, graduated Bluefield high school. After that, my family moved to um, Orlando. Okay. And one thing that people don't know about me that always seems to impress them uh, amazingly is that I was one of the first 40 employees at Walt Disney world. Oh my gosh. Which was a <laughs> big deal back then because every college kid which I was on the uh, east coast wanted to you know work for the mouse and yeah. when you, when you got hot you went in for interviews and did all that and when they hired you especially as one of the first 40 we were working for Disney even before the park opened so yeah. that was kind of fun we were training all over the park you know you'd work at the contemporary hotel and the polynesian then you'd be a tour guide for a while kind of getting you ready. And we actually, I guess they still do this. We actually went to Walt Disney University. So uh, I'm a graduate of Walt Disney <laughs> University. Boy. And we learned um, things I don't remember now, but all about Walt and all about Mickey and all about Goofy and Pluto and everybody. And it was, it was really fun. I have kind of a funny Disney story. Please let's hear it. If you want to hear it. It's so yeah, funny. Oh, yes. You know, underneath uh, the theme park, there is an underground city, right? Yes. And I'm sure it's huge now, but when I was there, it was big enough. You know, you had to take a, you went down there and you got in some kind of a car and there were street signs that would say fantasy land this way and wardrobe that way. And, you know, so I had to go to ward, wardrobe one day <laughs> and I, I walked in and talk about, I was like 19 years old, I guess. And talk about disappointment. There was, um, uh, Cinderella with her wig off but her dress on and oh no I'm sorry it was Snow White with her wig off and her dress on and three or four of the dwarfs standing around her and she was really mad at one of them <laughs> she, whatever the problem was Snow White sorry but she was cursing out this dwarf like you wouldn't believe it and it was just the weirdest thing to see you know, beautiful little Disney Snow White just letting one of the dwarfs happen. So very, very out of character. I know it was, it was, and I was 19 and young enough to be, well, I think any age would be like, what, yeah. what is going on? You know, yeah. that was kind of fun, but That's it was fun funny. working for them. I met all the, um, Walt Disney had passed away by the time Disney, o Disney world opened. 
but um, I met Roy Disney and Roy Disney actually had, I was an actress, I was doing that on the side and he actually had um, reservations to come see me in the show oh, that wow. I was doing at that time uh, when he passed away. So oh, wow. I knew all the big wigs, you know, that was one thing about being one of the first 40. We knew all the guys, you know, the big wigs, the head honchos would come in from California and we would, um, you know, we would, everything was a first name basis, everything. Mm -hmm. You never called anybody Mr. Disney or Mr. Curry, or, you know, you called them John and, and Walt, and Walt had he been there. Yeah. Uh, Roy, it felt very weird at 19 to call Roy Disney Roy, you know, right. it was kind of a strange thing. I think that's so <laughs> like kind of going back to the Disney thing there. That's, that's cool about the first name basis. Everybody's kind of a family, but it is mm -hmm. very strange. My mom worked at Walt Disney in college and it is very strange. They don't want anybody to see anybody like a snow white without her wig you know and so you yeah. do travel these underground tunnels they don't want anybody to see what it's really like which is really cool yeah like you're never gonna see snow white and the dwarves walking through Tomorrowland. Yeah. you're never gonna yeah. see they're gonna right. be in the appropriate place and that park it's still true i'm sure i haven't been in a very long time but but i mean it was so clean and you yeah. never saw the people who picked up back in the old days the cigarette butts or picked up the candy wrapper that was thrown you never saw that happen ever but it was just it was regimented you know mm -hmm. i used to compare it when i was naive and didn't know any better i would compare it to like being in the army because they come around <laughs> and, and right. inspect you you know and back in those days teased hair was kind of in and they would literally spot check once in a while they would come around one of the women would come to the dressing room and put a ruler on your head. Oh my gosh. Make wow. sure your hair wasn't teased. I think in those days it was like half an inch. At the high. appropriate <laughs> level of tease. <laughs> it was, and that might not be the case then, but that yeah. now, but that was the case then. It was, but what an experience that was. And what a great thing to um to have been present for the opening mm -hmm. of Walt Disney World to be there for all yeah. of the hoopla and all of that we were the first people to go in and see the um hall of presidents with all the audio automatronics and you know we just i don't it was a it was a real pleasure and and a real treat to be able to be right. part of all that now, now dream when you you, know, you grew up in, I'm, maybe you didn't maybe you did have those dreams of doing that experience but how did that like from your 19 years old how did that like maybe just shift your perspective and you know what what kind of maybe like was instilled in you after that like you had that great experience at disney um where did you feel like like where did you want to apply your passions and, and tackle life um from there acting yeah i was acting at night you were hooked on that yeah working at disney in the daytime acting at night and that's all i ever wanted to do i got bitten by the acting bug at mm -hmm. High school being in a senior play and then we moved to florida and um Roy Disney, actually, not to go back to Disney, but um, he had asked me what I wanted to be. And I told him. And so he gave me great acting advice, which, you know, when he said, well, I have advice for you. I was like breathless. It was like Roy Disney's going to tell me how to become a famous actress. This is so great. You know how naive you are at 19. <laughs> and so he um, he looked at me and he said, so you want to be an actress? And I said, I do. And he said, well, here's the advice I have for you. And I said, OK. And he said, I don't care how much money they offer you. I don't care what they tell you they're going to do for you career-wise. Don't ever take your clothes off. Wow. Yeah. He would be stunned. No, which of course I, I'm like, I'm like, well, we don't have to worry about that. I can guarantee. <laughs> but at, you know, at, um, at 19, that was not something I would ever consider doing. And I can't imagine what Disney, what Roy Disney and Walt Disney I try to imagine what they would think with the way things are going now, just in the business in general and, right. you know, Disney in particular. So I don't know, but that was uh, acting was always my first love from high school on. I wanted to do it. I was blessed and able to do it and um, started out in Orlando where my parents moved to. And then from there, my first professional job. Now you guys are young, so you're not. <laughs> maybe some of the listeners out there will remember. Um, they should, but 
but um, my first professional job was with Sal Mineo, okay. who was an Academy Award nominated actor. He did Exodus and Rebel Without a Cause and oh, all kinds of things. Died very young. He was murdered. Oh, wow. Uh, very, very. He was only, I want to say 35 when he, when he was murdered. But uh, he was my first professional job. And from there, I went on to work with Again, you guys might not remember these people, but Gail Gordon from The Lucy Show, okay. uh, Doug McClure, ladies, you remember Doug McClure, <sighs> right? Uh, the Handsome Hunk from The Virginian, uh, Al Lewis from The Munsters. Now you guys might know Al Lewis, yeah. Yeah. Grandpa yeah. Munster. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was blessed to work with so many really talented, uh, very well-known people in those days. And then... Uh, I was in Florida visiting my family and a friend called me and said, you need to go to St. Petersburg and audition for Play It Again, Sam. You would be perfect for that lead role. And I said, okay. So I went to do that. And guess who I met there? <laughs> that show was going to be starring Bob Denver. And, mm-hmm. and the rest, the next 30 years are history. It's pretty. <laughs> so you guys met awesome on set doing what you love. Happened. Yeah, yes, you guys met on set. Doing, you guys met on set doing what you guys love, acting and we did we did i auditioned for that part and got it and so i was there with the producer and the director and i said now who's going to be starring in the show (laughs) and she looked at me and she said bob denver and i literally went gilligan (laughs) (laughs) and she was like yes and i i have to kiss and do love scenes with gilligan really (laughs) she was like well if you want the part yes you're gonna have to do that i was like oh no I want the part never, you know, you don't think of that character. Of course, Bob was not the character, but, right. but that's all I knew about him. So, you know, you don't think of that character as particularly sexy or romantic <laughs> or, you know, anybody that you would fall for. But I'm telling you, we met the first day of rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, when I arrived at rehearsal that day, they had a marquee outside that said Bob Denver starring in play it again sam also starring dreamer harry which was my maiden name and um i laughed because obviously that was wrong but when i got into rehearsal he was the last one to arrive and he, it was so funny because he said um he hit the doorway going what the heck is a dreamer <laughs> and so i went that would be me. He said, seriously, your name is Dreamer? And I said, no, no, my name is Dreamer. And he said, your name is Dreamer? And I said, yes. And he took my hand and we shook hands. And he said, it is a pleasure to meet you, Dreamer. And I'm telling you, I can't explain it except to say it was electric. Everybody else around us felt it. Uh, when we got reviewed for that show on opening night, the reviewer talked about it wow. and it lasted for uh, just shy of 30 years before, until Bob passed away. So it was the real deal. Yeah. Happiness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love that. That's, that's an amazing story. Hey, what's up, guys? Cooper here. Hopefully everyone is doing well. Doesn't it feel like just there's a light at the end of the tunnel? It's getting warmer out. I played my first round of golf for the year, um, and it just feels like the world is inching closer to normalcy. So we're very, very thankful for that. Um, But look, guys, we're taking a little break, as always, to give you some updates and uh, shamelessly plug the other projects that we're doing. We only do that because of such the hard work of all the other people that are helping us build Mountaineer Media. Um, You know, our bloggers right now on uh, MountaineerMedia.org, they're putting out incredible articles. Jessica Neal has another great piece out about addiction recovery called Anessa's Story. So check that one out. And Whitney Wetzel has got another healthy uh, little juice blend for you. So pop on over to mountaineer.org, mountaineermedia.org, excuse me, and uh, check those out when you can. So we'll get you right back to the episode right now with Dreama Denver. Now, so when, so what, so you guys, you know, you, you meet and you're relatively young, what happens next? Do you guys travel together? And uh, you mentioned you guys, you moved, eventually you make your way back to the mountain state and you live in West Virginia together, but what happens throughout? Did you kind of just, you guys 
toured the world, bounced around, act different careers. Like, what were some of the major highlights of um, you know the next kind of couple of decades in your guys' careers? Well, we toured. We act, and once I met Bob, my acting days were with Bob. Mm-hmm. So I was again lucky, blessed, whatever. To um, it was funny because when Bob would get asked to do a show. He would say, well, I'll do it if my wife can do this part. And the you could I could always feel that the producers or directors were going, oh, man, we hope she can string three words together. Please let her be able to act. And, <laughs> and then you I walk in there, and, yeah, and they're I, like, whoa, OK. Yeah. yeah, I could feel it. But when I would get away. there, um, they would be pleasantly, thankfully surprised because I could act. Mm-hmm. And then it was just sort of, um, you know, off and running from there. We just had a great time. We worked all over, I mean, all over the United States, mm-hmm. uh, did a whole lot of Canada, always in January and February. I've never understood how that happened because <laughs> it is so cold there. Yeah. But we always worked in Canada in the winter. So, um, but we worked all over Canada. And I don't know, we just stayed on the road until. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we did Hollywood together. Mm-hmm. First uh, function Bob took me to, we had been together, I don't know, a matter of months. And CBS had, you can see this on YouTube too. They had um, the CBS 50th anniversary. Okay. And it was a great big special, a really big deal. Everybody starring on CBS at that time or at any point in the past was invited to be part of that. So Bob and I walked into my first time in Hollywood, folks. Uh, we walked into CBS studios and it was all I could do to keep my chin from hitting the floor. I mean, there was anybody you could imagine, you know, everybody everybody from the Waltons, Carol O'Connor, Sally Struthers, Alfred Hitchcock, Walter Mm -hmm. Cronkite. I mean, people that I'd grown up watching that were just, um, it was just unfathomable to me that I was meeting these people. Mm-hmm. that I was seeing these people, so, or I, I didn't meet them all, but I saw them all. Um, that was pretty exciting. And then we were in LA. Um, I was there for all the Gilligan movies. Yep. There were three, The Rescue from Gilligan's Island, The Castaways on Gilligan's Island, and The Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island, which I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was so much fun. Got to play basketball with the original Globetrotters. Yeah, how fun. You know, Geese and Meadowlark and and Curly and all those guys, it was, and they were wonderful guys. And so, you know, I have been um, so fortunate in my life to have been able to do some really extraordinary things I never dreamed about doing growing up here and meet some really extraordinary people. You know, Bob did a lot of love boats and a lot of, do you guys, are you old enough to remember these shows? Love Boat and Fantasy The, the names of them, maybe not watching them. But <laughs> oh, my gosh, you're babies. Oh, my goodness. I'm 26, so yeah. yeah we're not, <laughs> oh, you are. Okay, you're, you're babies. Young enough to be my children. There we go. All right. Well, anyway. Well, speaking of. Well, out there. Uh, well, some no. of them have to remember. Those shows were wonderful. Got to meet some wonderful guest stars on those shows. And, mm-hmm. of course, the stars of those shows got to take the Love Boat cruise to Acapulco and you know, filmed on the boat on the way to Acapulco. So I've been able to do some really extraordinary things in my life that I feel I'm grateful truly for every single one. What is up, friends? Let's take another quick break here on the podcast. Um, hopefully you're enjoying this conversation with Dreama Denver. She's certainly someone that you feel like you could talk to for hours and hours. Um, but we do want to take a break and give a shout out to Mr. B Chips and Marianne Kettleson. She is a awesome lady. She's invested in the podcast. She's making this possible. And Mr. B Chips is a great partner because they are through and through what we talk about. They put their money where their mouth is because they love West Virginia. All their jobs are in West Virginia. They're producing a product in West Virginia, and it's a great, uh, delicious chip. So thank you to Mr. B. Thank you to Mary Ann. She's a CEO, philanthropist. Uh, entrepreneur and that's a tough word philanthropist to to say so congrats to me for pronouncing that um, here as I record this Um, but look guys all the merchandise that really does help us tremendously as well so listening to the podcast but you guys supporting us and actually buying physical things from us um, 
first of all, it blows our mind. It's kind of crazy to think that, that can, people would even spend their hard-earned money on something that we have, um, but we appreciate that. But secondly, I mean, that goes right back into the podcast, right? You, when you purchase that, you're helping us shine more light on West Virginia. You are playing a part in this whole project, right? That's extremely important. It's not just us. We're not trying to make money here. We're trying to push this all right back in and grow this thing, grow Mountaineer Media, but really help put West Virginia on the map. It's already on the map. We know where it's at. It's one of the most beautiful, unique states there is. But um, just I think it just helps everyone understand, appreciate, and really cherish the incredible people that come from this region of the world. So thank you guys so much. But um, I will quit yapping and we will conclude this interview now with Dreama and uh, we'll let you go about your day. So thank you guys. See you later. I always I always ha- have this fascination of like um, actors and ac- actresses that are, you know, married together. Like how difficult is it to kind of balance like the the world of acting in your professional world? And then you come home and all of a sudden you guys are, are back to normal, especially when both of you are in that world. It, was it a difficult balance, especially when you guys found yourself working together? You know, it really it really what here's the thing with us. Um, while we were on the road working, we were on the road. We didn't live anywhere. So it wasn't like we came back home to West Virginia. Mm-hmm. We would time between shows and now how awesome is this? Oh, I, these were the days. <laughs> it's been so long. I can't remember even what this was like, but we would have time four or five weeks between shows and we'd go, let's go to Hawaii. And we would go spend, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. We would go spend, um, you know, four or five weeks in Hawaii, or Bob also loved the Rocky Mountains. So we would mm. sometimes go to uh, Colorado, high up into the Rockies. And um, so we we had adventures when we weren't working. Mm-hmm. And, and in the case of two actors, um, I was always aware and happily so that Bob was the famous one. I mean, he was the one that People had seen, you know, he'd come into people's living rooms for now this year. It's been 57 years. Can you wow. believe that? 57 years. He would be agog because when he passed away, it had been on the air, maybe 43 years or something. And he was mm-hmm. agog over that. But um, but he was the famous one. That was okay. I never minded being the sidekick or having second billing or I was just so happy to be doing what I loved with the person I loved and, and traveling and seeing this country, uh, doing those things. It was, it was such a, uh, such a pleasure. There was no way we just didn't have any of that competition. Now we had a baby Mm -hmm. uh, about six and a half years after we were married and things changed in a very big way then. But up until then, we just sort of, we were both good at really rolling with the punches. If we're working, we're here and we're doing that. If we're, if we're not working, we're doing something fun. Mm-hmm. And what, so what eventually brought you back to West Virginia? I know you, you said you, you did have a son. Was it Colin? You had your son, Colin. Um, um, did, did you guys just want to pick a place that, I mean, cause Bob was not from West Virginia, but he was very, you know, I think when we spoke, uh, spoke on the phone earlier, he was very like welcoming of West Virginia culture and very like, I think he even like encouraged you and maybe you were introducing yourself as a West Virginian to like, Hey, like wear that with pride. Like, speak up. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, what, um, was it just, just that, was it because you wanted to go back somewhere familiar and kind of settle down in the, you know, the second part of your life? We wanted to, after, well, I should explain that when we had our son, mm-hmm. When he was two years old, he was diagnosed with severe autism. And um, so, <laughs> surprise, you know, when you have a baby, you're counting fingers and toes. And, and when they have all those things, you think you're in the clear. But in this case, that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, so we began doing full-time care. <clears throat> and by that, I mean uh, 24-7, 365. Bob and I provided the care for our son. That's what most people uh, don't know about him. And that's why I wrote my upcoming book, uh, Gilligan's Dreams, was Mm -hmm. to let people know who he was as a man and a husband and a father, not just as the character Gilligan, or for those old enough to remember, 
his first really famous character, uh, Maynard G. Krebs. So um, we started off, Colin was born in Santa Barbara. We went from there to uh, Las Vegas. Okay. And we were there during the first Las Vegas housing boom. It's boomed even more since then, but it was a huge boom at the time. And we just wanted to be someplace off the beaten path, someplace quiet, um, with really good people surrounded by nature. That was not Las Vegas in those days. Yeah. Uh, still isn't, I'm sure. <laughs> and we just wanted a quiet place to be able to, to take care of our, our son. So Bob was the one who said to me, so why don't we move to West Virginia? And I was like, seriously? <laughs> and no offense to West Virginia, but right. it's something I'd never, um, I'd never imagined coming back, you know? Right. And he said, he said, yeah. And I said, well, I have an awful lot of family there, which I don't anymore. Many years have passed, but I did then. And I said, you know, what if they all want to come over all the time and want to bring their friends to meet you, which was a big deal. And he said, we'll do a reunion in the summer and a Christmas party in the winter. And we'll have everybody over for those things. And we'll take care of all those requests. And so I was like, okay, that sounds good. So um, we made a trip, cross-country trip with our, our son at the time to West Virginia and stayed in Bluefield and looked around and finally found, um, actually we found it long distance. We didn't find it while we were here, but a home in Princeton and we moved back here. And I'm telling you, I'd love to be able to tell West Virginia this and tell them honestly, my husband loved this state so much. He loved the people. He thought West Virginians were the salt of the earth hardworking people of integrity. Mm -hmm. um, it always makes me think of Homer Hickam. I know you guys know Homer, mm -hmm. um, who's ended up being a, a very good friend and was a huge fan of Bob's, though they never got to meet. Bob was a huge fan of his, read all of his books. Wow. Uh, I, was the, I was the lucky one who got to meet Homer and be friends with him. Bob never did. That's very cool. But, you know, Homer is that way. Homer has such love for you know, Southern West Virginia, West Virginia as a whole, right. because he knows that the people are stellar. They truly are. And Bob clued into that immediately upon um, moving here. He would go to the window for the first like five years that we lived here. He would walk to the window, look out at the mountains and go, honey, thank you so much for being born in this beautiful place. Like I had anything to do with that. <laughs> I brought You're, it you're welcome, Bob. But, <laughs> but he loved it, loved it, loved it here and always wanted to get back to uh, my home state, my home area. And he would go on Letterman, uh, David Letterman, and he would go on uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and and sing the praises of West Virginia and the people here. So wow. I'm always thrilled to tell West Virginians that. Yeah, he's no, he's an, he's an adopted West Virginian. I mean, a lot, a lot of folks... <laughs> yeah. Even if you're not born here, I think once you get here, you're like, wow, like this is just, there's a feeling of just home. And like some people that aren't from here may be like, oh, what's that feel like? But everyone knows from West Virginia, it's like when you come back here, it's like, wow, like this is actually like where I'm supposed to be. It sounds cliche, yeah. but it's true. It's a real feeling. It really is. It is true. And he felt that way and, you know, lived the last 15 years of his life here in Princeton, uh, the longest he ever lived anywhere. Uh, wow. He was born in upstate New York and lived That's there so until... Cool until high school. So that might be about the same amount of time, but you know, he, uh, he was proud to be from here and, and really thing I loved about Bob, I loved everything about Bob, but, uh, <laughs> but one of the things I loved was his ability to, he was comfortable in any circumstance. Like he could go down to Lowe's to buy a saw or a hammer or something. And he could get into the longest, most detailed, you know, interesting conversation with the guy behind the counter talking about building supplies or, you know, he was, uh, on the other hand, we were invited um, twice actually, but the first time was in 1995, we were invited to the White House during the Clinton administration. And of course, you don't turn down that invitation. Right. <laughs> <Never>. and, um, <laughs> We met with President Clinton privately in a reception room at the White House, and Bob was equally as comfortable there. I mean, it was mm -hmm. like, 
hey bill how you doing you know yeah, like, yeah. this is so i practiced i mean for three days before we went there it's a pleasure to meet you mr president it's a pleasure to meet you <laughs> i kept I practiced over and over because I was so afraid that my tongue would get tied or, you know, right. uh, but he was just really What's up, Bill? comfortable <laughs> in every situation. Yeah. Um, Dream, I, I, I do want to talk about a lot of the stuff that, you know, when you move back to West Virginia, you, you have done a lot of um, philanthropic work, I guess. But let's, let's start with this because we have a mutual friend, um, Josh Gaffin, who works at WTSQ in Charleston, West Virginia. He's a radio host. And I think you were just on his show not too, too, too long ago, but he had mentioned that you have um, a radio station I do. in Princeton. Little, little Buddy Radio. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Because Little Buddy was a nickname of Gilligan on the show. And that's exactly where the name of the radio is. Actually, yeah. it had call letters and everything like a normal radio station. We started it. I've had the radio station now for seven, almost in May. It will be 17 years. Wow. Uh, we started it in 2004. Now wrap your mind around this, guys, because a lot of people can't. It's a nonprofit radio station. Hmm. Nothing. I don't make anything. Uh, all the money generated by the radio station goes into the Denver Foundation, which owns and operates Little Buddy Radio. And Bob and I started that radio station to uh, benefit special needs to be able to help some way, somehow, depending on how much we could bring into the foundation um, to help people in situations like ours, uh, you know, raising a special needs child, uh, whatever that special need might be. Of course, our focus was on autism. And so we started the station and when we launched it, Bob was alive for probably the first year of the radio station. Uh, so it ended up being my baby. But uh, when we launched it, I think it was the New York Post that said, you know, did a story, Bob Denver starting his own radio station in Princeton, West Virginia. I guess it's going to be called Little Buddy Radio. And we went, <laughs> well, we guess it is. We yeah, it's a hell of a name. That's good. <laughs> I mean, it really is a great name. For, we would never have thought to do that, but it was a great name for a radio station. So when the New York New York Post said it, we said, okay must be true. So even though it's WGAG, um, LPFM, and all of that, everybody refers to it as Little Buddy Radio. And I have to tell you, I and because I'm not patting myself on the back, but because I have spent years compiling the playlist for Little Buddy Radio, um, it, it really is a great playlist. It started out as primarily an oldie station, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. Well, no, you guys wouldn't know, but Anyway, that's, <laughs> it was, that's the best music. <laughs> and then it became, for me, over the years, it became all about good music. Didn't matter to me what genre, didn't matter what decade. Uh, you're going to hear everything on there. And musicians, especially, uh, tell me how much they love the radio station because it really is eclectic. Mm -hmm. You, um, you might hear something jazzy one minute and top 40 the next minute and you know Motown the next minute it's just got a great I, I tried to create a feel with the playlist and and I think I've done that I think I did that and um I'm really you know it, there, I have an emotional tie to it because of Bob it's something we started together along with the foundation and I have done my best to carry on um since he passed and he passed away early on in this process so Mm -hmm. um you know no, you so. should be proud it's incredible it's incredible work i mean that, that is amazing stuff and it's a non-profit which is um it's even more amazing now how does that so the founding always like you founded the always free honor flight how did where did that love of or appreciation of service members and if i'm getting it correctly it's it's paying for service members to be able to visit like like national monuments and, and such like that for them to be able to pay you know their respects as well how did that come about you know i heard a, an interview this was back in 2010 2011 somewhere in there um someone being interviewed about honor flight mm -hmm. and i was like well that sounds kind of cool so i looked into it and and honor flight was an it is a national program uh with hubs all over okay. the country in every state in the union 
and it honors our, it, it began as a way to honor our war, World War II uh, veterans with trips to Washington, D.C., free to them mm-hmm. to see the memorials, the World War II memorial built to honor their service. And mm-hmm. I was like, I've always had a love um, at Bluefield High School. It, it was such a, I don't know, it's such an honor when your high school recognizes you. But right. back in 2015, my high school put me in their Hall of Fame. And when I went there, they had gone back into uh, the records and found a poem that I had written that won first place in the state. What? <laughs> Seriously, when I was this 16, cool. the laurel leaves. I don't know if they still do laurel leaves, but that's yeah. something. And so my poem won first place in the state when I was 16 years old. I hadn't seen it in all those years. They brought me up on the stage and they said, do you want to read this? And I, I had no idea. I couldn't remember what it was. I was like, no, no, you guys can read it to me. That'd be okay. <laughs> so they read the poem and I got tears in my eyes. It was all about patriotism and mm. the love of this country and the people oh, wow. who served this country. That was the 16 year old me. Yeah. Wow. Now, all decades and decades and decades later, the way more than 16 year old me founded the first, I think there's another one now, but the first sanctioned honor flight in West Virginia. And we had to have a name for it. And so um, we came up with always free Mountaineers are always free, always free honor flight. And up until COVID Mm -hmm. uh, we had made 10 trips honoring hundreds of West Virginia veterans. Uh, We started out with world war II in Korea uh, and of course, over the years, we're losing the World War II veterans, you know, so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been harder and harder to find uh, World War II veterans who are alive or alive and able to Move make through. a trip. So we mm-hmm. now include Korea. My father was a Korean veteran. We include Korea, Vietnam, and we've even taken some Desert Storm uh, veterans on our last trip. We took some uh, Desert Storm newer conflict veterans but i tell you what i knew i would love it but it is something like nothing i have ever experienced it is the most humbling gratifying to spend 24 hours with these men hear their stories Mm -hmm. uh, not see it in a spielberg movie not read it in a history book but talk to them about what they did at pearl harbor or normandy or it it is so humbling and it has changed everything i thought i was patriotic i was you know i loved it yes i appreciated our veterans and but looking back i can see that that was sort of a it was a genuine appreciation but it was sort of a surface right appreciation because i didn't really understand the way i do now the sacrifices that they made that their families made the sacrifices that our current military that their families make um, it means so much more to me now. It always meant something to me, but so much more to me now. And I, I can't wait for COVID to be over so that we can make our 11th trip. I'm yeah. looking forward to that. For people listening, how do you, so someone's maybe listening their, you know, their, their father might be, you know, or someone serving the service, where do they go? Is there a website? Like just for people if to you, find it. If you go to bobdenver.com, okay. there is a, a menu choice that, the Denver Foundation. If you click on that, you get a drop-down menu. You'll see information on um, Always Free Honor Flight. You'll see a page where you can print out applications um, for a veteran for Always Free Honor Flight or to be an um, escort on Always Free Honor Flight. We, we like to have escorts to push the wheelchairs and, right. and sort of be one-on-one with our older veterans yeah. to make yeah. sure they're taken care of and all that. So all of that is under the Denver Foundation at bobdenver.com. Okay. Super well, important. Yeah. yeah. Could not. And you couldn't pick a, I mean, a more worthy state in terms of the, the number, the sheer number of veterans that live in West Virginia, obviously. Um, you know that West Virginia has more veterans per capita than any other state in the union. We are. I, I a, didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. We are a patriotic state. 
we love our country period you know and um and you know the i won't have the percentage right but it's a very tiny i want to say one percent i'm not i i can't swear to that but it's a very tiny number of our population that actually serves this country yeah the people who who signed that blank check yeah to give whatever it takes to keep us free that's a tiny tiny percentage of the population of this country and i don't think i mean honor flight is um i mean that's a it's a small thank you for what they what they do for us and how they keep us free and and i think we you know we're spoiled we're so used to being free we've always been free we've never you know, we personally have never had to fight for that on a daily basis. And, and um, that's because these right. people signed that blank check and said, we'll give anything up into, including our lives yeah. um, to keep this country free. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Really wow. We just, we just lost uh, another world war two vet. He served uh, in several wars and uh, Chuck Yeager, here in West yes. Virginia. Did you ever cross paths with, with Oh, Jeff? I would love to have met Chuck Yeager. Oh, I would <laughs> love to have met him. No, I never did. Chuck mm-hmm. Yeager would, would be on my wish list. And another person I would love to meet, I don't know, I, I just want to scream it from the rooftops. Um, I would love to meet Gary Sinise mm-hmm. because I am from Forrest Gump. Are you mm-hmm. guys too young? To uh, no, I no, 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 that's a, okay. that's a classic. <laughs> I have to tease you. Um, <laughs> Gary Sinise does so much work for he our veterans, veterans. And, and our military and their families. And it would be having nothing to do with Forrest Gump. That's not the part. He's a wonderful actor, but that's not the part <laughs> that I'm impressed with. The The work with the veterans is what uh, I'm so impressed with. I would love to be able to, you know, hook up with him and work with him on something regarding our veterans someday. So mm-hmm. yeah, we can cross our fingers and, and I don't know, happen, sometimes hey, I, you put yeah. it out there, you can make it you can, happen. You can manifest Definitely. it. And talk about manifest something. You, you know, you or your passion about West Virginia, you helped get John Denver, who a little bit confusing. There's no apparent relation with no you, relation. Um, but John Denver's song, Take Me Home Country Road, which we all sing in every bar and every tailgate. And we all love it. And we all, it brings a tear to our eye. You helped get that adopted as the West Virginia's official state song, um, but it wasn't easy. And so talk to us about how, why you even went on that journey, but then ultimately, how'd you get it across the finish line to happen? Well, we've talked about Little Buddy Radio. Mm-hmm. Um there was a time for about four or five years that I had a morning show called Sunny Side Up, where we focused on, you know, all the good stuff in life and the positive things and tried to start people's days off um, in a real positive way. And uh, it was music and talk. So at some point I played uh, John Denver's uh, Take Me Home Country Roads mm-hmm. and I got a phone call during the show and they said, is that a state song for West Virginia? And I said, I don't know, but I will look, I don't think so, but I'll look into it. Of course it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was a no brainer. When you start out your first four words of a song are almost heaven, West Virginia, <laughs> or our much maligned state. Yes. Where we're always looked at as hillbillies or rednecks or, you know, however people look at the state, which is totally untrue. Um, almost heaven west virginia come on guys so yeah no i know i went to um our representative here in this district uh, marty gerhardt and i said you know i got this call and why is this not so this should be so and is there any way we can do this and he said i think so so he and um oh someone whose name i don't remember and i'm so sorry co-authored the resolution resolution hr 40 Okay. Um, to make this a state song. So when they did that and there was something to vote on, I got with all uh, my little buddy radio listeners on the morning show. I, I said, if you're for this idea, if you would like to see this happen, call our representatives, open up, you know, hit the phone lines in Charleston, <laughs> let our senators and our representatives know that we want to see this happen. And so we did that. Um, 
the first year, it passed 2013, it passed the House, but it did not pass the Senate. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense at all. That makes no sense. Yeah, who voted no on that? I don't, even oh, no. Know, I don't even know why it didn't, but I do know that when 2014 rolled around, I went, okay, failure is not an option. Yeah. This time, the second time has to be the charm. So I uh, kept with my listeners and had them doing what I'd asked them to do the year before. And I started doing every interview, anybody that would have me, radio, <laughs> television, newspaper, anybody who would talk to me, Press I started doing interviews. And as I started doing that, the cool thing was that people started emailing me and messengering me on Facebook and, and stopped me on the street to tell me their stories about where they had been in the world that country roads had been sung to them. So we are talking um, the Great Wall of China. Someone had it sung to them there. I even heard rumors of Mongolia, uh, the United Arab Emirates, mm -hmm. uh, every pub apparently in Ireland. They must sing the song nonstop in Ireland because <laughs> everybody's yep. heard it in Ireland. And then I got stories from um, Cinder Mansion told me, um, you know, we became friends uh, during honor flight because he meets with our veterans on all the honor flight trips. And so he knew that I was doing this and he said, you know, it was very interesting. I went to Thailand when I was governor and he said I was meeting with the prime minister of Thailand and uh, of course was introduced to the prime minister of Thailand as uh, Governor Joe Manchin, governor of the state of West Virginia and the prime minister of Thailand went almost heaven, <laughs> you know. Come on. That's then, crazy. Uh, the other great story, Landau Eugene Murphy Jr., whom we all in West Virginia, we love him, yep. uh, winner of America's Got Talent. Landau's also a friend. And he and his manager, Burke Allen, went to China uh, not long after Landau had won mm -hmm. uh, America's Got Talent. And while they were in China, they were in a taxi. And, you know, the Chinese driver says, and so where are you from? And they said, you know, well, we're from a state in the United States called West Virginia. Take me home, country, <laughs> I can so, collaborate that. I was in, I was awesome. in, I was in China in 2017, 2018, and I, I was in a bar in the middle of China. It's like 1 a.m., and then <laughs> the band, literally the the Chinese band, starts playing Country Roads. At that time, they didn't. Maybe they had an inkling that we were Americans, probably. But once <laughs> they did that, I'm telling you, like all like 30 of us, like we're singing it, like crying, like we're we're in China and we're singing this song. <laughs> imagine going to china was that awesome oh it was incredible it was absolutely incredible and they were the most hospitable people they was they i mean everywhere we went people wanted to talk to us about america and loved it um which is real shame i mean i think that's a lesson for for west virginia it's because i think we we like you said we're a maligned state we fall into the same category it's like you see something on the news and then you just assume it's true and then that's all that's the only narrative that you get same thing with china you know it's painted as an adversary and that, that's not to discredit look i'm not a foreign policy expert um, you know there are i'm sure issues but the people were incredible people um i had a blast and i would just you know analogize that with west virginia i think a lot of the times you know, we get a bad rap in national media um, for, you know, being backwards, stupid, toothless folks. But then it's like, wait a second, like I'm getting told that from above. But when I'm here at this day, all I see is incredible, hardworking, compassionate, friendly people. So I, yep. these two aren't these two aren't lining up. I um, think so often govern, governmental policies don't match the people. Right. Yeah. That inhabit the country. And, you know, I try to just remember that that we were all created. We are all human beings under the skin. You know, the corny, I guess, overused phrase now, we all bleed red. I mean, we, a mother in China loves her child just the way I love mine. Yep. Um, it, I don't know, I think so much of the, well, we won't, we won't get into all that, but I do, I just feel like if the people of mm -hmm. different places were able to come together, the people, don't have problems mm -hmm. it's the you know and that's probably very simplistic and i probably don't know what i'm talking about but <laughs> but i would think you know you do have that opinion of china that 
ooh, scary place to right. to go. So how wonderful to know you had a great. It was. Great time. I, Landau really loved it from everything yeah. he talked about about being over there. So they thought he was. Um, I don't think they knew America's Got Talent over there. They kept stopping him for autographs because they thought he was an NBA player. Because <laughs> he's so tall. Lando's tall too. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's like six, he's six four. four. Yeah. Yeah. So we we actually we talked to yeah. We talked to would Lando. Be, this would be a good time to also give a, a shout out to Burke Allen, who is a mm-hmm. mutual friend of all of ours now, who kind of helped us connect us um, together, helped us get Homer and, and Landau as well. But Coop, Coop even has like the, the classic photo of the West Virginia flag on the wall, on the Great Wall. Uh, so, I do, uh-huh. yeah, hold it. Yeah, the West Virginia <laughs> yeah, flag. Cool. Um, oh, that cool. would be cool. Yeah, I'd, yeah, that was pretty cool. Oh, I'd love to see that. Also, also, also cool. yeah, well, I'll am definitely. Am I allowed to say that I just love and adore Burke Allen. Is he the best guy? Burke is awesome. Oh yeah. The best guy in the world. He is, he's such a man of honor and integrity and I am so happy to be in his orbit and to have him represent me. And, and I know Landau and Homer, we all feel that way. Mm -hmm. We might have to, we might have to have a Burke Allen episode because so far we've learned that he's been to China with Landau. He goes digging on these, uh, these, um adventures with homer hickam out west so so far he's, uh, he's dinosaur hunting yeah mm-hmm. he has met just a you know just a little heads up hey burke <laughs> yeah. he has met so many incredibly well-known people he would have such i told him not too long ago actually about a month ago i said you know i have a book coming out right and we were talking about my book and i went you know you need to write a book yeah. yeah, you have so many stories. I mean, he and Landau have been to Germany. Mm-hmm. They have been. Uh, oh, he, he just—he's just an amazing person and just a top-notch human being. And yeah, you should do a Burke Allen show. Really, we yeah. should. Yeah. We certainly should. Down the road. Okay, well, so let's, let's go ahead, Cooper. <laughs> no, just—I mean, you know, your your book, The Gilligan's Dream. Um, that is—is uh, is it out right now, or where? Where can that be? Or is it coming it's out? Coming out. Uh, at the end of this month great it is called gilligan's dreams bob always called me dreams he never called me dreamer he always called me dreams so um i love that title because mm-hmm. uh, first of all we wanted gilligan in the title mm-hmm. so people would would know what it's about but to me that encompassed i was his dreams and i wrote the book um it encompasses his dreams for our foundation and his son and his dreams when he was a young actor and the dreams we had when we met. Um, I, I'm just very proud of this book. Homer, uh, speaking of our friend Homer, was my first reader on the book. Oh, wow. I would write chapters. I would send them to him. And he was my cheerleader. You're hitting <laughs> it out of the park. Keep going. Good job. You know, kept me, because it was a hard book to write. You know, it sure. was... The, the part about meeting and falling in love, that was um, bittersweet um, after losing Bob. Obviously makes me teary, but in a happy way. Sure. And then um, when I had to write about our son's diagnosis and, and our journey through autism with our son, uh, that's like mm, all over again. Mm-hmm. And then of course I write uh, about Bob's passing because when Bob passed away, um, Amazon, of course, wasn't what Amazon is today, but it was then the place to get books. Mm-hmm. And I remember going on Amazon trying to find any book I could find that would tell me how I could survive this because I'm not being dramatic. I really didn't feel like I could live without it. I was mm-hmm. terrified. I had our handicapped son that was now my responsibility and mine alone. Um, it was overwhelming and terrifying. And I went on there you know, looking for anything that would help me know that I could make it. So when I wrote this book, um, I did it to be inspirational and to help people who might have that same fear. I can't do this without, um, you know, my best friend. I can't, I can't do it. Um, I did do it. Doesn't mean that, I mean, to this day, going on 16 years later, I tear up over him every single day, but, but I survived. I thrived. I created a life, um, and a good life. 
And I've tried to do good things um, in his memory and to carry on with things we started. So I really wanted this book to be that inspiration to tell people that, you know, you can survive, you can, you can go on even when you think you can't, mm -hmm. even when everything feels so overwhelming, like it's just too much to bear. Um, that's why I wrote the book and I wanted people to know, you know, uh, people used to write the website going when Bob was still alive, going, you know, what happened to you? You know, we never see you anymore. You don't do anything, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Bob set aside his career, Hollywood, all of that to be with me and Colin 24-7, 365 for over 20 years. Now, I don't know if you can imagine, I mean, that's almost as long as you guys have been alive, mm -hmm. that he gave up, he did personal appearance and he would do guest starring roles on like Alf and, you know, different shows like that. Mm -hmm. But he set aside everything because he, of his love for me and our son. And I wanted people to know that people who love the show, people who love Bob Denver, are big fans. He was not a perfect man. None of us, none of us are perfect, but he was um, a wonderful father to our special needs son. And I wanted people to see that part of it. Mm -hmm. That's why it's called Gilligan's Dreams, The Other Side of the Island. That's because wild. the other side that's... of the island was nothing like Gilligan's Island. That's beautiful. What a, and, what a perfect title. Yeah. I yeah, mean, thank you. Thank it, you. It is. Yeah. And, and the reality is, I'm sure you, this was, in a way, you're looking at this as, as your life's work. You want mm -hmm. people to know the story of Bob Denver, the, the, the real story of Bob Denver through and through. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a better person to, to write it than you, Dreama. Who, who, Thank who, you. Who Thank your, you. You know, people think that, that is so sweet. People think that if you're famous, which my husband was, that nothing bad ever happens to you. Right. You know, I mean, even I would, I know that we would, after Colin was diagnosed, we would find out that somebody like Sly Stallone had uh, an autistic son mm -hmm. or John Travolta had an autistic son or Tony Braxton. And I would hear that. And even me with my famous husband would somehow go, oh, it's not just, it's not just us, right. you know, and I don't know how to explain the kind of comfort that that people might find knowing that Bob Denver had the same struggles they're having mm -hmm. or that they had, or, you know, they're maybe in the middle of those struggles. Um, there's something, there's something, I don't know, comforting when you go, you know, he's famous. Everybody in the world knows his face and yet he's going through what I went through or what mm -hmm. I'm going through. It, it's just, um, I don't know. I've always found some kind of peace in that. So I wanted people to, um, you know, to also be aware that fame doesn't protect you from anything. And, and people think, you know, because you're famous, you're rich, not true. Um, there was never any money for Gilligan's Island. So we weren't sitting on a mountain of money. And we had those same struggles too, financially and emotionally and physically trying to um, do what we did 24 seven for decades um, was a challenge. And just because you're well known to the world at large, doesn't mean that you're going to be able to skip any of those things in life. So mm -hmm. I just hope people will read it. I haven't even held it in my hands yet. Okay. I can't wait. I know it, it's left the printers and gone to the publisher. And so I should be getting mine soon. And I can't wait to just open it up. It's, it's, I, you know, I've done great stories and great pictures, personal uh, photos from, you know, publicity photos, but also personal family things. And, and I'm just really excited for people to, to read it and to get the feedback. It's also nerve wracking when you put right. no question. a big chunk your of your personal soul. life out there for people to comment on, you know, that's a little scary, but, but I'm really, um, I'm, I'm really hoping that it will help and inspire somebody who's looking for that very thing. Well, Dreamer, I mean, I'm sure it will, because after speaking with you, I mean, you're an incredible West Virginian, an incredible advocate for the state, um, you know, and you, you, you've lived a life well lived and, and you've, you've done it right and you're reflective and you're going to share that and inspire people through this book. So we'll definitely 
I'll say, or we'll, we'll buy multiple coffees and then give away a bunch of them to our listeners here on the podcast. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah, we would love to do that. And I can't, I can't wait to read it myself. Um, so once, once that gets finalized and you got a copy in your hands, we won't take the first copy from you. We'll, we'll, we'll let you, we'll let you keep <laughs> no, that. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be yours, but we'll get, we'll get a first batch of them. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll share it with do all at all or, our, our reach with our audience and the proud West Virginians that, um, that, uh, follow us. So thank you so much. I, I this was so fun. It was so mm-hmm. cool to hear that the personal side of, of your guys's life together and the journey back to West Virginia, I had no idea. Um, but it, it's, it's so cool. And we couldn't thank you enough. And, um, thank you for fighting for West Virginia. Oh, listen, my, my home state, I'm a West Virginian through and through. And <laughs> let me ask a very quick question before we say Please. goodbye. Do you guys have little children in your lives? Not a personal one. No, definitely no. Like a niece or a nephew? Or, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. too young to have babies. Come on. But now I want you to know this time last year, I have a book that came out. Can you see that? Yes. Yeah. Four Bears Called in a Four Box. Four Bears in a Box. It has won nine awards. The last award it won uh, in 2020 was in December. It was runner-up for best children's book at the Paris Book Festival. And I'm talking Paris, France, not Paris, Texas. So (laughs) that's pretty exciting. My Bears went international. It's a wonderful book. This one is available. You can get it at bobdenver.com where I can autograph it. Beautiful. uh, And would be happy to. Or it's also, if you don't care about the autograph, it's also available at Amazon. But I'm very, this little book has been such a blessing. It is a magical um, book all about creative play and, and imagination, which our children are losing um, on devices and everything these days. So uh, that book is at the website and the new book will be there. I'm guessing maybe in a matter of about a week. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Yeah. We uh, awesome. Well, Four Bears in a Box and Gilligan's Dreams. We will certainly bring uh, attention to that because it's um it's from the heart, and we can tell that it's genuine. And uh, we love supporting causes like that. Yeah. So I love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, yeah. Dreamer. Thank you. Okay, everyone. That about wraps it up for this episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Hopefully, you enjoyed that episode. As much as we did, Dreema has an infectious personality. She's fun and energetic. And, you know, hopefully you kind of caught wind of that early on in that conversation as well. So thank you again for everyone that's made it this far. And thank you again to Dreema for coming on the podcast with us. Okay, everybody, make sure to stick with us on all social platforms. Head over to mountaineermedia.org. We've got some cool things going on and just stick with us. We've got a lot coming up. It's March right now as we record this. By the time we hit April and May and June, Mason Cooper and I and the rest of our bloggers are probably going to be pulling our hair out of our heads because there's so much going on. (laughs) We know how to stay busy. There's no doubt about that. Make sure to stick with us. It's going to be fun, entertaining. We're, We're just going to be shining as much light on West Virginia as possible through some kooky stuff here and there. You'll just have to wait and see. So make sure to stick with us on all of our platforms and right here on the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Thanks, guys.